When you've had a long week and want to mix it up with something new and interesting to eat, try Blue Apron's two or four serving menu plans with those hard to find ingredients sure to spice up your weekend. With 60 plus options each week, you can choose from an ever-changing mix of high quality meat, fish, vegetarian, WW recommended and wellness offerings. Order now and get $110 off across your first five orders when you visit blueapron.com unique. to the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur. I am Matt. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Jamie. Jamie, how are you this evening? I am doing well. Glad to be here. And of course, we have a special guest we talked about last week, uh, Brian. Brian Sammons is back joining us, Jamie's beau. Brian, how are you this weekend? Or not this weekend, I'm sorry. How are you joining, how, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, it kind of felt like, you know, um, it, we, we were talking about the what movie to do this week and when the red brown one came up I, you know it was kind of like man you know brian we, we we you know we 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 gave you the lifetime movie the last time you were here and it felt like we, we needed to give you something to make up for 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 that one something that's uh as we said more in your wheelhouse something that's a little bit more fun and so i feel like this might might be the one what do you think is this was this the one well um the lifetime movie wasn't horrible but yeah this speaks more to me as a uh, viewer i've seen this movie before uh i want to say three or four times and uh it's not my favorite red brown film but it is it's it is up there it's just it's good goofy silliness yeah yeah i agree i don't know if it's necessarily my favorite either but like you said it's got that good good you know it it just it it has what you want from a red brown film which i think is is the key it it, it's got the screaming it's got the like you said the goofiness. Um, it it's just a fun time, so you you know it's going to work. Now, I want to do a couple quick administrative things before we get into the uh, the podcast. I was behind on doing um, Twitter and Facebook updates uh, for the most recent podcast, um, American Ninja Two. Um, so that one is now currently up on the archive. I finally put it up on the um the archive page, and it is up. Um, I, I put the links on Facebook. I haven't put it on Twitter yet, um, but you know you can always go to the archive page and check them out. Um, I know I, I always, you know, in my head I always think, well, you know, once I put it up there on TalkShoe, it goes to iTunes. But I know not everybody uses iTunes. Um, but one thing you can do, um, if I don't, if I'm, I'm, if something comes up and I'm behind on the Facebook and and the Twitter, uh, as we say, um, if I'm behind on those things. You know, if you go to the main page, mattmovieguy.com, I have the RSSS feed for the most recent, the the five most recent uh, pods. So if you ever feel like, what happened to that most recent one? Uh, you can go check there sometimes. But um, I know I, I should make sure I get on Facebook and get on Twitter and make that happen. Um, so I apologize for that. But they're, they're up there now, and it has been up since the weekend. Um, and hopefully I'll be right on top of it with these ones here uh, so you won't miss out. Because I think I have a feeling this is going to be a good one tonight. So that's it for me. Uh, Jamie, did you have anything administrative-wise? Uh, I don't think so. Um, we just did a on the Skeleton Crew, the next episode that's going to be coming out, we have um, our top five horror franchises mm. of all time. Uh, each of us threw in our top five, so that's an interesting thing. And other than that, there's not a whole lot going on. Perfect. Well, then... Um, I, I guess why don't we just kind of get into this thing? Um, for for me, I know Brian, you were saying you've seen this a few times. Um, my first kind of introduction to this film was um, uh, Simon, who runs um, the uh, uh, Explosive Action uh, b- 
block, which you can find that. Um, you can actually find the link to his on my page, Explosive Action. But he has a really great blog. I, we always call him our friend from down under because he's from Australia. And uh, he, he for a little while, he was collecting, um, and I think he still does, collect um, Japanese VHSs. And he would... Um, you know, make DVD copies of these, and he sent me a package of uh, of five. He sent me Robo War, uh, Strike Commando One and Two, which Strike Commando One has Reb Brown as well, um, Deadly Prey, and a film called uh, Steel Hands or Hands of Steel, um, something like that, which I reviewed recently. But um, so it was a group of five, and uh, my friend Ian, uh, who who um, listens to the pod as well, so he'll he'll be hearing me talk about this. Uh, he was house sitting uh, one weekend uh, for his parents, and so I. I visited with him because his parents live near where um where uh, uh, my family lives and uh we just kind of I had the DVDs with me and we just kind of went through them and this was one of the ones we watched and it was just so much fun and I think it took me almost a year to review it after that so I watched it again and you know watched it for the pod tonight and I think it just it never ceases to continue to have that fun aspect to it um but it is you know it's on YouTube right now and um on the DTV um connoisseur tumblr which is dtvc.tumblr.com um i've posted the um i've posted the uh um the i've embedded the uh the youtube copy of this because it's the the movie the full movie is up on youtube if you want to see it but um i don't let's say um because i know brian you said you've seen this before jamie you haven't seen this before right that is correct but I'm always happy to watch anything with Reb Brown because <laughs> right. I love the shit out of him. But um, this was my first viewing of this. What did you think? Um, well, I thought it was basically Predator, <laughs> <laughs> but not as good. Um, although we did get some awesome screams from mm-hmm. Reb, which made me really happy. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, there was one scene before we got a scream from him. Uh, one of his teammates jumps in front and starts shooting, and he's like, ah! And I'm like, Reb's over there going, that's my line, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> but then later on, we got some really epic examples. So it was fun overall just because we were making comparisons throughout uh, against Predator, which is kind of hard not to. It, it seems like they hit a lot of the beats that Predator has. Um, and I, I mean, it seems, it seems like they took the script, Predator. <laughs> yes. And did a find and replace for the word alien and replaced it with robot. <laughs> yes. It is. Bruno Matai, he likes to rip things off and he's pretty shameless about it. But this movie has got to be the most shameless uh, out of any of his homages, to put a you know nice spin on it. Um, there's a scene in here where Reb throws a knife, kills somebody, and he says a one-liner, and I forget the actual one-liner. It's not stick around, but it's akin to that. (laughs) Don't move. He says, don't "Don't move. move. And then he winks at the camera. (laughs) So you you gotta wonder, I mean, is he in on the joke? Does he know what he's doing? So he's like, it's a paycheck, come on. (laughs) Well, it's funny you mention that, because um, I remember we had Rich Pierce on, remember this episode uh, as well, um, Jamie, what Rich Pierce um, was on, we were talking about, I think it was Ambushed. Um, but he was talking about how he kind of got into script writing, and one of the things was he did a um, uh, a, a, a newsletter, or he did a, um, a piece um, in the newspaper about bad movies, and he talked about Reb Brown movies, right? And um, how Reb Brown wrote him a letter about how he liked his reviews and stuff, and how he said that, that like one of the movies that Rich was talking about uh, paid for his house. He's like, I, 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 I bought my house with that movie. And so I think it's that idea that these films, um, they, you know, they allowed him to live a certain lifestyle. And so I think he enjoyed them for, for that aspect of it. Yeah, he, he always seems very workmanlike to me. Um, he's there. He's going to do a job. And he usually does it pretty well. I am a fan of the guy. Uh, he's no great thespian, but he is a lot of fun. Yes. He's very earnest. He's a very earnest yes. guy. And you can get behind that. Yeah, I mean, I can't fault him at all for, you know, for taking a job and doing the best he can with it and then making money off of it. Um, that is not his fault. You know, he did, I think he did a more than fine job here. You know, he is a, he is a very suitable action guy. I I really wish that there was more of him out there. I don't even know what he's doing now. Um, but... 
you know, his movies aren't necessarily the greatest. I'm talking to you, Captain America. Um, <laughs> but um, it's and also this one. But I think he does a fine job with it. Yeah, I was going to say he's often the best thing in the movies he's in. And you take a look at uh, Howling 2, and outside of Sybil Danning's boobs, um, Reb Brown is easily the best thing in that entire film. Oh, yeah, and he even does it. It's awesome. He even does the scream there, like every time he fires a gun. Ah! Yeah, I, think <laughs> I think it's contractual. He has to scream when shooting people. I think so. I think, which is funny in that movie because he's using a handgun. So it's not like it makes more sense if you're using, you know, an automatic weapon because uh, you're just you're all into it, you know, like ah, just like mowing down the, the I was about to say the desert, mowing down the jungle or whatever. But um, in Howling 2, he's using a handgun. So it's like ah, ah, ah. Well, and also in Howling 2, he's acting opposite Christopher Lee, which I think for me just makes it when, – when I think of, of pairs of actors, you know, we always talk about, oh, they, they finally got Pacino and, um, and De Niro to act together in Heat. But when I think of two actors I've always wanted to see together, it was Christopher Lee and Reb Brown. I, I think that always worked for me. Really? That was a thing for you? I, I just – I always <laughs> wanted that. And, and when I found out Howling 2 existed, I, I was just like, wow, this is, you know – I, I don't know if I need to watch another movie. I don't know. Um, you know I, I remember um, watching a Criterion version of a Yasujiro Ozu film where this film critic said that Yasujiro Ozu is like the full realization of the art of film, his, his directing style. I believe that Christopher Lee and, and Reb Brown paired in one film together um, is the full realization of the potential of the art or the medium of film as an art form. <laughs> <laughs> That's my belief. But I, I gotta say, close second is Reb Brown in a belly shirt on, on the boat while they were heading out oh, to the island. A belly shirt with sailboats on it, nonetheless. And I even pointed that out. He's just like, I'm wearing a half shirt with sailboats on it. Mm -hmm. And Brian's That's... like, look, he is really secure. I was gonna say, that's a man who's secure in his badassery right there. <laughs> yes. If he can make that work, there ain't no stopping him. Oh, no. No, and I, and I noticed somebody else was wearing a shirt that said African Queen. So um, I don't know if maybe Humphrey Bogart was and, and um, Catherine Hepburn were in the back part of the boat well, filming that that scene. One thing I noticed is the boat is called African Queen Two, mm -hmm. and the reason I know it is because they show it like five times. <laughs> they show the name of the boat in the back. They show a little bell with the name on it. They show like a lifesaver with a name on it. It's like okay, we get it. Yeah. The and guys wearing the, the crew members wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> so just in case you forget the name of the boat that you're going to be crewing this afternoon, here, wear this shirt. It makes me wonder if maybe there is – maybe that's the film that Bruno Matthijs always wanted to make because he's always wanted to make a sequel to that one. And, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> Humphrey Bogart died long before Bruno Matthijs was making films, so maybe that's why. He just – it's like he never – you know, I, I, his, his greatest uh, – his greatest disappointment in life is the fact that he was born too late to make African Queen 2. See, well, you could have just made Amazon King, right. and uh, <laughs> and then it would be like a beat-for-beat beat version <laughs> yes. of African Queen, but with Reb Brown. <laughs> and hey, yeah, if you can't go, if you can't get Bogart, Reb Brown is a suitable replacement. Uh, I, I agree, <laughs> I agree. Here's looking at you, shoots all the Nazis. Yes. <laughs> Whoa! And then he yells, "Get to the chop! I mean, the boat! Get, get to, to the, the boat! Get to the yes, get to the plane! No, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But soon, <laughs> for the rest of your life." <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 parallels here are mm. just unreal. I mean, it was just like every. Every few seconds, Brian's like, hey, remember when they <laughs> they did that scene where the one guy got killed and his friend went crazy and went running into the jungle? Yeah. Hey, remember that scene where they attacked the village with, like, the with the gorillas in it? Mm -hmm. Hey, remember that scene? <laughs> like, where, yeah. I mean, it's where they shoot the whole forest down with machine gun, but there's nothing there. I mean, yeah. it— this is it is shameless how much oh. this is a predator ripoff. Remember that scene when the Native American character goes out into the to the forest and cuts himself or like yep. gives yes. himself up. Yeah, Brian. During this scene, uh, when the guy's like, "You you go ahead, I'm staying behind," and then Brian's like, "Please cut yourself with your own knife, please. Yeah, please. Gonna do it, do it all the way." Yeah. And of course, he pulled out the knife. Yeah. But he didn't do it. He didn't deliver on that. Yeah. But uh, maybe they thought that would be too much. I don't know. 
Um, (laughs) We don't want to go that far. I I don't think too much is in Bruno Mattai's vocabulary. (laughs) Now, Now, one thing that's funny about this is that, like, you know, yes, like, the film is just goofy and it's all over the place. But as a director, like, there's something, there's a level of competence that these Italian directors bring to these films that... Um, I'm not. I'm not comparing him with a Fellini or a you know Rossellini or something like that. But there seems to be like this level of competence that they all seem to have. Like you, you know, like it's almost like um, if you get a, a, a cook from Italy, right? He might not be the greatest chef from Italy, but he's going to come over here and he's going to take care of business in a competent way. And it's almost like these movies that like the the, the way that the scenes were shot. They were shot by. A director, you know, like they weren't shot by a, a stuntman who was just that they decided to get the, through the film, or an actor who decided he wanted to try his hand at directing, and it was a low-budget film, so why not? Like it's like he, there's this level of competence he has, even if he's completely ripping something off, you know, he's doing somebody else's dish, but he seems to like, you know, for that level, of, I think that allows me anyway to be able to enjoy the cheesiness and the goofiness because. The whole thing, it's like it's shot as a movie. It's shot by somebody who knows how to direct a movie. Um, and so the fact that he's shamelessly ripping off the Predator, I can have fun with it and laugh at it because I don't feel like it's like, you know, some of these other ones that we've seen on here, they're just poorly directed. They're poorly put together. Um, whereas this thing is just goofy. Um, but it's done by somebody who actually knows how to direct a film. And I think some, th- there's something about that that helps a little bit in, in, in these, in, in the enjoyment factor. Well, yeah, there's there's a huge difference between a bad film and a so bad it's good film. Yeah. Um, and it, it, the same thing can be said for campiness. This movie is, you know, campy as all hell, but there's an earnestness to it that sells it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of movies, a lot of modern movies, they try to be campy. It's like, we're going to make a campy horror movie. Ha, huh, it'll be fun. And then if you try to make a movie camp, it's never works. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it's, it's like artificial, you know, you can spot it from a mile away, but something like this, there's an earnestness to its campiness that, uh, makes it so much more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that's, that helps. That's a big part of it that, you know, um, how do I want to say? It's like, yeah, like the earnestness. I mean, the, the the fact that Reb Brown plays it straight, even though he does wink here or there or something like that, you know, he plays it straight. And and the fact that that Bruno Mattai, as goofy as he is, and as much as he's trying to do this under budget and whatever, he still wants to make sure the shot looks good. You know, that we can see what we're supposed to see, unless he wants to try to, you know, obfuscate somewhat or whatever. But um, you know, I I mean, I remember seeing certain scenes in the film and being like, wow, that's that's kind of a nice shot. I, I like that. Um, while he's ripping off the Predator, which I'm enjoying as well. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that's the thing about Bruno Mattei, or Vincent Don, as he called himself in this film when he directed it. Um, they, um, it, 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 is that, you know, it, 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 there is, I don't know if, yeah, if we want to call it, I guess we could call it earnestness, that, like, you know, at the same time, he's completely ripping off, you know, whatever it is he's doing. And, um, you know, I, I, the, the films, the other films of his I've looked at, I mean, the other one was called Cruel Jaws, which was a ripoff, I guess, of a combination of Jaws 1 and Jaws 2. Um, but, you know, this, this is kind of what he does. Um, but I, I like that. I like that I can enjoy a bad film. And I think that's one of the problems with the modern direct-to-video is that um, whether it's the fact that the people directing them, it's just like, let's just grab whatever stuntman we can. Um, or when they get a director, I think maybe a Bruno Mattai, because he comes from the same school as, like, you know, really, you know, some of the greatest directors of all time. He's not going. He has no like, um, he has no uh, pretense about who he is as a director. He knows he's just going to do a competent, professional job, and he's having fun with this too. Uh, whereas you're going to get a, you, you, you can't seem to get a good, happy medium between um, a competent director uh, who's not completely self-indulgent and trying to just do whatever he can to make a bad movie. I mean, we think about the one we saw, Open Windows, which which did a lot of that. Um, or, you know, just throw whatever stuntman or actor or whatever, give him his first job directing and just put the movie out there because we know we can get plenty of Redbox sales and, and Netflix hits and, and make it happen that way. We, we don't have enough Bruno Mattis left, which I think is what's unfortunate. Well, I agree. And in fact, uh, when this movie was ending, Jamie said, you know, that movie looked better than I thought or something akin to that. And, you know, she was right. 
I said, Brenda yeah, I mean, it, it didn't look bad, at least, you know. They even had real explosions. Yeah, well, to which Brian replied, well, it was made on film, <laughs> so that's better than – that's well, already better than his recent movies. Yeah, his – his uh, the last two things I saw by uh, Bruno uh, were two zombie films, and I forget their name, but one is like Dawn of the Zombies or whatever. Uh, they were two direct-to-video, shot-on-video, uh, quickie zombie films that were just painful to watch. So I think – Unfortunately, as many directors in in their later years, um, he just doesn't care anymore. Uh, he's in it for just making a quick buck. Where you watch any of either of those films and this one, and it's night and day. Yeah, they're all cheesy, but this there's a level of competency here that just wasn't in those later films. Yeah, that makes sense too. I could see that. Um, you know, it's. You know, one of the things I've heard other um, B-movie actors talk about is that the money's dried up in these things. Um, it used to be that uh, you could get some rich European guy to bankroll you, maybe a rich Italian guy to bankroll you and ship you out to the Philippines for a few months and shoot a bunch of these things. And, uh, and now that the money's just not there. Um, they want it all on digital. They want the digital blood. They want quick edits. They want to get some cheap band to do a hardcore version of something. Uh, to make, play in the background and just throw whatever actors they can and get into it for five minutes and call it good. And I think that's uh, that we as a, the movie going public are suffering for it. Um, I mean, you know, Jamie, thinking about the, the slew of films that we've done here, and we've done some real stinkers. I mean, where would you put this one compared to some of the other ones we've looked at? Uh, well, I'd say it's definitely better than at least a handful of the ones that we've done. If, if for no other reason than the source material that it was stealing from <laughs> is a much better film. Uh, but also it doesn't look bad, you know, and I, I think that the performances were all competent. I'd say it's better than Ambushed. I'd say it's better than Legendary by a long shot, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and as far as the money not being there, I mean, look at it. The, the way that things are now today, you can make a film for $17 if it hits – in theaters, you know, you're, you're going to be rolling in millions of dollars in revenue on this film that it took you nothing to make. I mean, because of the digital age and the availability of equipment, the ease of availability and everyone being able to pretty much pick up a camera and do stuff, it's – and then, of course, you know, cheap digital effects that most of the time, unfortunately, look cheap. But if you're making a movie on the cheap, then you probably don't care. Um, Brian and I were talking earlier about the movie that's in the theaters now, Unfriended, that we both actually like. Um, but he said, you know, they probably made that movie for five bucks because it's a very simple premise. The, you know, the entire film takes place. At, we're watching it through one person's computer screen. And then you had, you know, Google and Skype and... Uh, Spotify and all of these other like real life applications throwing money at them to use their product in this movie. So they probably ended up having more money than they started with by the time they finished making the movie because of all the ad revenue that they brought in from product placement. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't always, now if you want to make something huge, uh, like a Hobbit movie or Avengers or something like that, then obviously that's going to cost you a lot of money, but that's not what these guys are ever trying to do anyway. So, um, yeah, I can see they don't want to put the money into them anymore because you don't really have to. They see examples all the time about how you don't have to. Remember that movie several years ago that got really popular, Colin? I think that movie cost, I want to say it was actually $17 or 14 It was something ridiculously cheap. It was like $11 or $17 or something like that, and then it gained popularity because of word of mouth and ended up making quite a bit of money. And so in paranormal activity costs next to nothing uh, when you're talking movie dollars. Um, and so they're like, well, why would we put money into that? It doesn't cost that much to go out and buy a, like a, a Sony cam. <laughs> and, and also the, the field has changed. Uh, you were talking about uh, like Redbox and Netflix. Those are major players now. So – 
you don't even have to get a movie in theaters to make a profit. You just get a movie out there, get it to Redbox, get it to Netflix, get it on some video on demand. I mean, there's a million streaming services outside of Netflix. Um, the way you can make money on film now is is legion. Whereas before, back in this movie's day, you had theaters and then you had VHS. And that was pretty much about it. Maybe cable would pick it up. Um, now you can just you can market movies to so many more different avenues. Yeah, and that's a great point because, um, you know, that's where where it becomes. You know, I always talk about the bait and switch, um, and and you know, in the past, the bait and switch was really just about getting a face on the cover that you recognized, or even getting um, a, a piece of action or image from the film um, that may not have even been in the film. Get something on the cover that makes us want to pick it up and take it home for the night. Um, well, hell, this one has just real quick. This one has Red Brown with a six-barreled machine gun. Right. Uh, he didn't have a six-barrel machine gun in this. I was waiting for that. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I remember uh, as a kid, this movie will always remind me of uh, mom-and-pop video stores because that's how I first encountered it. And I got it because here was some crazy-looking dude with a six-barrel machine gun shooting at something. I'm like, well, this movie's going to be awesome. It, yeah, it was, just not as awesome as the cover. Well, yeah, that's how it worked back then, especially, you know, you think of being younger and maybe it's like sleepover weekend with your friends or – or, you know, in the summertime, right, you, you always want to kill time. And so you go to the video store, um, you know, once you've covered everything that, you know, that you knew or that you know, now it's, you know, you're moving into these other things. And, yeah, it's the six-barreled machine gun. It's, uh, you know, whatever awesome-looking scene that is. You know, it's the, 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 the actor that I recognize. Oh, my God, I saw him, you know, in an episode of Knight Rider. Or I saw this guy in an episode of, you know, I don't know, trying to, you know, Miami Vice or, or whatever show we were watching back then. And, um, you know, yes, I, re I recognize that guy. Let You know, I want to check this out. Um, and, and so I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's the big thing now is that because the way Hollywood is now, um, a lot of big-name actors, people like Travolta, De Niro, um, you know, um, I was trying to think of some of the Samuel L. Jackson, some of the big names, though, but like especially De Niro, Travolta, uh, John Cusack, we've seen a couple times on here. These people are doing the direct-to-video thing, and it's like, man, if these, you know, they don't really care about putting out a good product. They just want to see if we can get one of these names in the film for 15 minutes, splash them on the cover. Then people go to the Redbox and they go, oh, look, it's De Niro. Oh, I loved him in Goodfellas. Yeah, let's watch that film, you know. Or, oh, oh, look, it's, it's Bruce Willis. Yeah, I love Bruce Willis in the Die Hard movies. Let's see him in this, you know. And then they get home, they're like, the movie's crap. It was five, you know. But Redbox already got their money, and the, the company that sold it to Redbox already got their money too. Um, and so Redbox is going to buy more of their crap because they're just going to be like, hey, you know, we're getting rentals off these. Um, it takes a while, right, for word of mouth to get out there that, hey, this film is crap. Stay away from it. Don't, you know, it's going to ruin your movie night. Um, and, and I guess, you know, even with the, the, the speed of things like Twitter, um, you know, and I, 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 the other thing, too, is we talk about Netflix. I think the, the lack of reliability of Netflix reviewers makes it so uh, it takes it longer for, for word of mouth to get out there to stay away from a, a, a bad film. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I wasn't sure. Maybe I, I should have thrown it to somebody. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to cut him off. I've... Oh, me neither. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that was my fault. I should. I, I need to be a better. I need to do it. You know, to, over to you. So yeah. Well, what, what do you think, Jamie, about this? Like that. You know, kind of the like what Brian and I were talking about with the sort of the way that the the game has changed or the playing field has changed. Um. I forgot what that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I actually forgot what you said originally. Well, you know, let's think of the film we did, um, Open Windows, that had Elijah Wood, you know? Oh. You know, you've, you've got him all over the cover there. Um, even calling it the mo you know, the, the new rear windows, I think that gets us to want to oh. watch it. But I think, you know, people going through Redbox, they see Elijah Wood on the cover of a horror film, they think, hey, I want to check this out. This looks like a cool deal. Um, well, particularly after his recent turn in Maniac mm -hmm. and um, Grand Piano. Exactly. You know, where he gave amazing performances. Um, Grand Piano specifically being a very simple premise, and you know, and he did a fantastic job there. So yeah, I mean, he would definitely be a draw there. But um, 
what? I don't. I keep losing my. <laughs> what's wrong with me? Well, uh, think of it like from a horror standpoint. You think of like what what made us rent horror movies when we were growing up. You know, it seems like now it's you know occasionally it's the dark, gross cover that they use. You know, if you go through Netflix, it has that. But it seems like now the big thing is is what name can we throw across the top and 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 make you want to watch it as opposed to you know what can what can we do to sell you from the content that might be in there or what what do we do? Well, because back in the day there didn't used to be big names that you could throw in there right. except for the you know on occasion when you you were lucky enough to get some like you know like a Betty Davis or someone who you know you could get into your horror film to give it some name cred even then though you're not going to really draw in the betty davis fans of old because they're not interested in seeing a film like that Mm -hmm. likely um but then you know horror films were built on on independence and actors you never knew and and if you did know them it was elena it was elena quigley or a debbie roshan or someone who you knew solely because of horror and since Scream came along, and then they started bringing in all the WB kids, and and every one of like all the Dawson's Creek kids got their chance at a horror movie. Then it started becoming about who you got in your movie, and versus, and then all the covers look the same. I really hate box covers these days. Like back in the day, you had some. Okay, who out there does not remember the box cover for I Spit on Your Grave? Yes. Yeah. Everybody knows that cover. Even if you never saw that movie, yeah. you know that ass mm-hmm. in those in those panties. Like that if you're walking through a video store, that cover stuck out at you. Even if it wasn't a film that would interest you or that you'd never cared to see, you saw that cover and it stuck in your head. And we just don't get that really these days. I mean, box covers are floating heads and it's all they're all digitally done. And we have this conversation all the time about how box art is really a lost thing. I mean, they they used to actually hire artists to paint box covers and posters for films and um like the character in The Mist, the the um oh, what's his name? The 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 actor um uh, Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane's mm. character oh, yes, in yes. The Mist, you know, when when we first meet him, he's He's actually painting posters, and people just don't really do it like that anymore. They, you know, everything is done quickly with digital effects, and you'll have the heads of the prominent actors, you know, floating around <laughs> somewhere on there. Or if it's like a romantic comedy, you've got guy leaning against girl, you know, back to back, <laughs> back, to back. especially like a Matthew McConaughey. How many Matthew McConaughey films out there is he leaning against somebody? <laughs> you know, um, and so the. It's like the cover art doesn't even try to draw you in anymore. Um, now it's just like what what and so instead what they do is if you have if you're able to garner one decent actor, then you even if they're only in 30 seconds of the movie, you're gonna splash their name all over the cover to draw people in, and that happens all the time, specifically in like uh, low budget horror films and low budget action films even. You know, if they happen to get a walk-on from Arnold Schwarzenegger, then he's going to be, even if it was just him walking in saying, hey, what's up? Uh, He's going to be all over that cover because look who we got. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much the, I mean, yeah, it definitely has changed in that regard. Yeah, what what do you think, Brian? It was the same thing, um, same idea, box covers and kind of like what what we're seeing here. Oh, I hate them. Yeah. Uh, for now years, decades, movie posters are, it used to be a movie had an amazing poster, even if the movie didn't warrant it. Uh, I can't tell you how many bad horror films I saw just because I was like, oh my God, um, stuff like three on a meat hook. I remember that poster. Oh, this is going to be so awesome. And the movie's not that damn good, but the poster was excellent. Uh, that's just one that flashes to mind. Uh, there's countless of them. Uh, nowadays, it is like Jamie said. It's it's photo. Sh- it's the the glamour shots of the cast and crew, not a crew cast, and they're all you know in a semicircle, looking mildly concerned about something, <laughs> and uh, you know they're the the name <laughs> of the movie in a you know some cool font, and they think that's it. 
they think that's all you want for a movie. And, you know, maybe they're right. I'm sure it's a hell of a lot easier and cheaper to do that, just Photoshop some piece of crap together, than actually hire an artist and have them do something original and unique and good. Well, you know, and I was thinking, too, when, when they do have artists do something for the, the, the cover, you know, because it, maybe it is a situation where they didn't get anybody famous, it seems like it's the same art. It's either, like, some kind of, you know, gross-looking mask, uh, a guy in a gross-looking mask, or maybe it's a, a set of uh, gross instruments. Maybe it's a woman trying to climb out of a cage or chain to, you know. But it's always the same kind of color. It's that kind of, like, auburn or, or mm-hmm. tannish color that's kind of dark, and it's, like, scratchy a little bit. Um, and then the title is written like it was scratched by somebody, you know, trying to scratch onto the wall with their fingers or something. Um, and it's always kind of the same thing. And you go through... How many... Oh, go ahead. I was like, how many versions of the Saw poster have you seen yeah. on d- films that have nothing to do with Saw? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they will emulate that poster because Saw made a lot of money. Yeah. And so it's like there's... Um, I forget the name of it, but there's one that I used to see all the time in the video store. It, it had the same color background. It was exactly the same, except instead of a foot that had been sawed off, it was like a hand, mm-hmm. you know, or something like, come on. And it's called like, you know, cut or, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, what are you doing? It's so blatant that you're like, well, this, you know, people, I don't know how stupid they think we are really that, you know, people like that. I mean, I'm never walking through a video store going, Oh well, that looks the same, so it must be the same. I, you know, I just don't. I was never one of those people to buy to rent a movie or buy a movie solely based on the cover. Anyway, I always read the back. But I had a lot of friends who, when like we would do video nights, and then we would alternate who would pick up the movie. And I had a lot of friends who would never read the back of a box. They went solely by the cover of the box. They didn't care what it was about. They just went by the cover. And uh, and a lot of times, you know, we got shafted because of the, the cover would be a lot better than than the movie was, like Brian was saying. Um, but nowadays, you can't – It that doesn't even – I wouldn't even be drawn in by the cover art these days. I mean, you kind of have to know something about the movie before it interests you because there's no interesting cover art. Well, yeah, like when we look for what our next movie is going to be, I usually scan Netflix, and you you know how when you go to your 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 instant queue on Netflix, you kind of just you can kind of hover your mouse over to the far right, and it will just zip all the movies through, and I'll see like ten or eleven of the same cover if I go through the horror films. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're all that same, like you said that that saw ripoff kind of thing, and and for me when I see that, I mean occasionally if the title looks good, I might you know maybe it's the title that might get me, but um. For the most part, and I, I have a feeling I, I've talked to um, Albert Pyun about this, about one of his films, um, Tales of an Ancient Empire, where um, the film was had a, a, a female um, as the lead, um, but it also had Kevin Sorbo in it, and then it had some other guy that Kevin Sorbo fought with, um, and um, I think it was Lionsgate who did the film, who distributed the film. They decided to put Kevin Sorbo on the cover with this other guy that he was fighting with for two scenes and then the guy just left, some horrible character actor, and they left the woman off completely or put her towards the side. And I get the feeling that that's what, you know, if they, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to get your horror film distributed by a Lionsgate or Anchor Bay or one of those ones, um, you're just so happy that they distributed it that you, you know, you'll take what you can get when they, they mess with the cover or they edit your film. Um, but I think what it's doing for us as the viewing public is we're seeing all of the same and we're just like, Oh, that's just going to be another Saw ripoff. I'm not going to watch that. Um, I think on some levels it might be doing the, the films a disservice to kind of homogenize everything like that. It is, because there may be a lot of Saw fans who would be intrigued by that, but there are also a lot of uh, people who will be turned away by that. And your film may not even be that. You know, it may not even be a real ripoff of Saw. But because the poster is, then people will be like, nah, I don't think so. I don't need to see that again. So, yeah, I think it's it can be doing the film a disservice. And to me, the the people nowadays who do cover art are right up there with the people who cut trailers. I don't think that they even give a damn. Sometimes I don't think they've ever actually watched the movie. They just go through and grab it. Like if they're cutting a trailer, it's like they go through and just grab scenes that they think might be interesting. 
But then how many times have you watched a trailer for a film and then you watch the film and you're like, yeah, where did they get this from? You know, or like if you read the description on Netflix <laughs> and then you watch the movie and you're like, God, did they even watch the movie before they wrote this synopsis? It's not even the same. It's I mean, it has nothing to do. What are they going on? You know, they're just making shit up. <laughs> so um, and it's it really is kind of sad to me. Um, and I've talked to directors who. You know, they don't even like for trailers to be made for their films because the trailer will end up turning people away that they're trying to to market to that they know would enjoy their film, but they're not going to watch it because the trailer's so bad. And, you know, I'm sure they feel the same way about the cover art. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, you, you bring up a great point about all of these things as far as like people who, you know, the, the, the Netflix synopsis, the, the cover art, um, you know, because we were talking about Robo War having a certain earnestness to it, and, um, and, and I think this is kind of getting to the point here. I mean, uh, uh, Brian, you know, what do you think? Like, I mean, is that, are we kind of getting to a point where the, you know, because you talked about the game changing as far as Redbox and Netflix and all these things, but are we getting to a point where we're kind of, we as the fan, we as the movie fan, um, we're starting to kind of be the ones who lose in this new system when it's supposed to be that we were supposed to win, right? We were supposed to have greater access to everything, and it was supposed to be easy. You know, I, I want to watch Robo War. I just pull it up on YouTube, and it was supposed to be great for us. But maybe we're starting to lose in this new system. Well, it's like many things. It's a little bit of give and a little bit of take. Um, I, you do have now more access to film from your home than ever before. Uh, like I was saying, there's there's Netflix, and then there's Hulu, and then there's Amazon Prime, and then there's Vudu, and then there's you know two or three or four or five other streaming services I can't remember. So that's all great. I mean, they all cost money, but uh, the idea that you can just sit at home, punch something up, and then boom, movie, that's awesome. But... Yeah, it's because m movies are now much more of a, I don't know, just product, I guess. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much care put in some instances they, their creation, but in most instances their marketing. Yeah. I mean, you go on Netflix and half the time now you don't even see movie posters for the movie you're looking for. Uh, a lot of it is just stills from the movie. Yeah. Um, it'll be like some random scene from the film. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm of the video store generation. Part of the fun was just going up there and wandering through the aisles and yeah, picking stuff up just because something looked cool. And I hear a lot of people go, well, Netflix is the same thing. It's just like a video store. It's not, no. uh, for, and I, I weep for those, uh, younger generations who never experienced that. And for all that will follow, that will never experience it. Because while there are still some video stores out there, they are, you know, a dying breed. Pretty soon they're going to go the way of the dodo, and that'll be it. Um, so, yeah, it is – media is more available, and there's much more media to choose from. But a lot of that media isn't all that good. And uh, just the experience, you know, just the, the fun of – browsing of you know half the movies i love i stumbled into um i would go out to the video store you know at least once a week sometimes more and just go this looks good this looks good oh this looks good and yeah sometimes you got crap but you, that's how you found those movies you never would have heard about and uh i just don't see that happening the same as it does on our modern uh movie uh, distributors, you know, the, the conveniences we now use. Well, you know, that's a great point, too, because I think of some of the, the classics that, you know, my friends and I had. I mean, one of the big ones was Bad Taste. And, um, you know, we got... You know, <laughs> that cover was great. The cover was great. My friend um, was trying to convince us to get it. Um, my friend Petrowski, he's like, you, you got, you, we, we've got to rent this one for our movie night. And I was like, I'm on, really? Bad Taste? I don't know what's going on here. And then he, he read one of the reviews, and it said... Um, so great your VCR will cry out for windshield wipers. And we were like, sold. That's it. We're getting it based on that. And who knows who wrote that review? We don't know. But, you know, it ended up being one of our favorites. Um, but, you know, one that I was thinking of um, that we did recently, and then I know that the two of you also did on liking it, was Wolf Cop, where we did get, 
you know, it kind of ticked all the boxes that Robo War did. Plus, I think it was, you know, a legitimately good film. It wasn't a ripoff either. It had uh, new ideas and new concepts. But um, I mean, you know, it's almost like this is like some kind of oasis um, in this sea of of crap that we've we've been dealing with here. Um, and, and so you almost kind of feel like, yes, you know, there is there is a wolf cop out there. We can find a wolf cop amidst all of these other ones. But it seems like, you know, how how you found it now now. Jamie, we, you you got this one as a screener, Wolf Cop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I requested it, um, someone, a, a listener, posted it to uh, a trailer to it to my uh, the Facebook page for liking it, and uh, watched the trailer, and then I reached out to the company, and they put me in touch with their PR company, and then I got a screener for it to cover on the show, and so I sort of happened into that and i had heard about it for a while you know just you know grumblings of something called wolf cop coming out but i just figured it would be something silly i mean you know come on the name is wolf cop (laughs) um but then when i actually saw the trailer it piqued my interest so that was an example of when the trailer actually did work and i actually like the the cover art for that one too Mm -hmm. i really think that's a good example all the way around um that that was a movie done right and in many regards. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like that, you know, somehow we as the movie-going public have to find a way to make, make, you know, Lionsgate and whoever the other distributors are, we need to somehow make them say, Wolf Cop is what we want. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if we can do it because there's just too many people out there that, you know, going to hop to the grocery store, you know, and, and spouse says, pick up a red box, and they go, okay, what should I get? Oh, you know, Bruce Willis is in this thing. Let's grab it. And and then they get angry, of course, because it's not a good movie. Um, and, and it just kind of brings the whole system down. But, the, the you know, the Bruce Willis film gets the hits. And we I guess we need to try to figure out a way to make Wolf Cop be the one that gets the hits. That that's the one that a Netflix chooses over the other movie. You know, Netflix. Well, that's th- why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. I was going to say. I mean, this and when right we find something. Doing it. You're going to say what? Oh, sorry. I was going to say this right here is the best way of doing that. Right. I mean, you know, written reviews and podcast reviews, that's the whole point of us doing what we're doing is to try to draw attention to the stuff that we think is worthy to draw attention to. When we find something that's original and creative and engaging, we latch onto it hard because in this day and age, there are so many out there that are not. I mean, the the ratio is – like far heavy in one direction and it's the bad one uh, so that when we do find something like the Babadook that or it follows or wolf cop or uh, there actually have been a number a number of good things this year that that and last year that came out that I want to ch- clown is a good one I want to champion them you know and try to bring awareness to as many people as possible because if then if you can do that then those people will hopefully seek it out throw some money at it and maybe people will start to get the idea that this is the kind of thing that we want we want originality we want creativity we want something new and interesting and there are new and interesting things out there so for people who think you know oh no well everything's already been done and then, oh bullshit people have been saying that for forever mm-hmm. and yet someone always manages to come up with something new and interesting yeah. it, it does happen it will continue to happen it's um you know the people still have brains out there and they're still working and and they are able to come up with good things it's just getting that stuff made and getting that stuff out there so that people get a chance to see it and then sadly what what ends up happening is the the market gets flooded with the stuff that you do see all the time and especially like with hollywood they'll they'll find a trend and they stick with it if it makes money they're going to stick with it and that's just the way it works because it's a business machine. It's it's that's the whole point is to make money for studios. They you know, they want to make money. So as long as something is making money, they're going to keep doing it. So you're going to get a lot of found footage films. You're going to get a lot of torture porn. You're going to get a lot of I mean, whenever that craze hits, everyone's going to jump on it because they're like, "Well, that made money. Let's do that." Until it doesn't make money anymore and then they'll find something else that makes money. And so Yeah, I was going to say I don't think there's a genre that you can see that more than than horror. It seems like horror is really like you think about like you talked about Scream. 
The one with Scream came out, like you said, all the WB kids, all the Dawson's mm-hmm. Creek kids. Suddenly, there was one of those coming out every other week. Um, Saw comes out and Hostel. Now it's all brutal torture films, you know, that are coming out. Um, and then Paranormal Activity comes out. Now it's all ghost scaring people movies, um, you know, the mm-hmm. exorcism type things. Um, it, it, and, and who knows what the next one will be, what the next uh, craze will be. But it seems like, yeah, it seems like originality goes out the window as fast as it, it, it arrives with horror uh, when it comes to Hollywood. And, uh, and it does. It really, you really have to, I think more than any other genre, really, you really got to dig and get into the fringes to find, um, you know, once, once, once Hollywood and the big distributors get their hands on one style of, of, of horror film or one, you know, one that they feel is the buzz one, um, you really got to work to get in there and find the, you know, the, the other stuff that's really good because it gets left aside. You know, I think the distributors say, no, that's not what's hot right now. Horror is the genre in which it actually pays to dig around and find the independent stuff. And uh, I have a friend who is, uh, he is a movie reviewer for um, a California newspaper. And um, he and he does mostly mainstream stuff. That's pretty much all he does because his his basically his column is what's in the theater right now and should I go watch it? That's what, you know, that's what his column is. And um, I made the statement to him, uh, you know, several years ago. And I said, you know, the best stuff is the independent stuff. And because those are the people who have to try. Those are the people who are doing their damnedest and busting their butts and coming up with the really creative, interesting ideas. Because if they want to make it, they have to because they don't have anybody backing them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing it on their own. And then he's like, independent movies are shit. I'm like, (laughs) not in the horror genre. Like, you know, it's that's the one genre in which you can count on to find good stuff that's independent. And that's really where you tend to find the best stuff. And then what happens is an independent film will come along like Paranormal Activity and blow everything out of the water. And then everyone else catches on like, oh, this makes money. So let's do it. Uh, But the original seed for that came from an independent film or like Blair Witch. Yes. You know, it's... um, it's those are where you're going to find the gems. Those are where you're going to find the good ones. Now, the stuff that we cover mostly, like the independent, low-budget, <laughs> direct-to-video action films, do, that doesn't always ring true with those. <laughs> yes. But I think it's because for an action with, with an action film, it kind of requires a budget yeah. uh, just because of the action. You know, the budget, re- in order to have a really, really good film – you need to be able to throw some money at the special effects. You need to be able to throw some money at the action sequences, at the at, at the stunt people. You know, if you want quality work, then you're going to have to pay for it. So a lot of times, the films that we cover end up suffering for that. Um, but then sometimes we have found some good ones too. I mean, there are some good ones out there. It's just I think, yeah, horror is the one that you can consistently find good things. The sad, from the independent world. The sad truth is the bar has been lowered. Uh, you were talking about in, innate quality to this film, and it's true. Back in the day when this film was made, it was still very hard to make film. Yeah. It was hard to make a cheesy, cheap film because even the cheesiest and the cheapest still cost money. Uh, they still needed investors. They still needed people to put up that cash and they would only do that if somebody had some sort of talent or representation or a history or something nowadays anybody can pick up a video camera and go in the backyard and make a movie and there's both a good and bad to that it is good when somebody has real skill and they just didn't have any other avenue open to them so they go and they make a movie and it turns out to be very good Unfortunately, that means a whole lot of people who probably shouldn't be making movies are making movies. And that just floods the market. Well, you know, not just that. I think that's a really great point. But also, I think the the distributors the, the or the people producing these films, um, some of the, the, the ones that are a little bit more, we, we think of as being more polished, they think because anybody can shoot a film that they can get away with um, skimping on a director for a film. 
you know exactly and, and I think too um I you know bring up someone like a Steven Seagal um, a lot of his films they don't you know you'll see it's just like a, a stunt guy who directed or something like that um, I think a lot of times these the, when the big name is attached they want someone they can control they want to essentially be the director and tell somebody else what to do which I think also causes the film to suffer because the film becomes more indulgent than it needs to be. So it's it's almost like we're 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 trying to find that middle ground, right? Where we want to find competent, um, you know, somebody who's competent that's doing something independently that's not being told what to do by someone else. Um, and so it's like either end of the spectrum seems to be where it's the worst, right? We're getting either, like you said, uh, Brian, that that backyard guy who's who's just you know. Any, any any schmo with a camera in the backyard can make whatever they want and put it out there if they got a little cash to get it distributed. Whereas on the other hand, the, the, the distributors are saying, we don't need to pay for a director. We can save money on the budget by not paying a director, getting a cinematographer that's adequate, and making the stuntman or an actor be the director. And we're yeah, fine with that. There's plenty of blame to go around. But no matter how you slice it, I held just, just a film stock alone. Yeah. I mean, film is expensive. That's why most movies now, not most, but a lot of low-budget films are shot on video. I just think of how much money Bruno Matai had to pay just for film stock, and that alone would be enough to keep a lot of people away from making films. So, Yeah, and unlike digital, you can't just back it up and go over it or, you know, use it infinitely. With film, you, you know, you film something on it, that film is gone. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to be really careful with time management and you had to be really careful with your film supply. You know, you only had a limited amount of resources, so you had to work hard and make sure that you got it right. You know, whereas with digital, it doesn't really matter. You can always just do it over again. And um, that's why I have one of my co-hosts on, on Skeleton Crew is always talking about how He's like everybody gives '80s movies a pass, or even older, a pass. You know, and he believes it's strictly for nostalgic reasons. You know, um, whether they're bad or not. And I'm like, no, it's not that. Like, it's just that even back then, like that back then, even the bad movies still took a certain amount of skill, still took a certain amount of money, still took a certain because it was hard to get it done. You had to be serious about wanting to make a film if you made it because there's so much effort and money that went into it, even the worst ones. So, I mean, before the advent of, like, home video camera, like the, like the, the like when people started making movies on VHS that were <laughs> terrible, um, you, even if you're going to make a shitty movie, you still had to put a certain amount of effort into it, and there had to be a certain amount of skill required before someone would back you. Uh, there was just, it was a whole different world. You know, and now today you don't even really have to have a backer. You just do it, and um, then hey, if it's good, and I mean, and I have, I have watched my fair share of movies on Netflix that I have no business being on Netflix. Like I will watch this movie, and I'm like, who the hell decided that this movie should be out for public consumption? Yeah. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with with you know fooling around and making a movie with your friends and I, you know that's great I do it all the time I have tons of movies that I've done that with but, but I also don't that put on them other out people. <laughs> I don't expect other people to watch them and pay for them either you know that's my personal thing and I certainly don't expect someone else to lay down cash to be able to watch it you know and, and I think there's a, an amount of hubris there that's. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? Yes. You, and you kind of pissed me off doing that. You wasted my time and my money uh, by having me watch something that you know damn well I shouldn't have to be watching. I'm not your friend. I don't care what you did. So, yes. <laughs> I kind of got off there. But it's it just that has happened more than one time when I was reviewing. I would just review random films on Netflix sometimes just to see what was out there and i'm like son of a bitch mm -hmm. <laughs> what have i like um the dirt, dirt bike zombies or something like that <laughs> several years ago and i'm like first of all i guess i should have known better i should have known <laughs> but i did it anyway and um then i'm like what what am i doing and why are you doing this why is this out there so i can watch it stop it netflix mm -hmm. it you know i was going to say the same thing um you know uh, 
Albert Pion won talk. I, I brought him up twice this episode, but um, I reviewed one of these urban. He did these this like urban trilogy of films that had like Snoop Dogg and Ice T. He went out to Romania to shoot them, and uh, he lost an entire crate of film stock for three films. Um, oh, I remember you told me this story. Yes, and so so when he got back, of course the distributors were like, "Well, we need three movies. Uh, you were supposed to give us three movies. We want these." You know, and Air France lost one whole crate of film. So he had to put out three really horrible films that just look really bad. I remember reviewing one of them and saying, like, this looks like a, a college kid shot it for their, you know, their, their thing, you know, for their, their final project or something. He's like, you know, good eye that you saw that because here's why that happened. Um, and, of course, you know, his name is attached to those. But I think a big part of that is the fact that, you know, of course, there was no digital technology then. This was like the late 90s. Um, but because film stock is so expensive that uh, you lose it, that's it, you know, and of course the time it takes to shoot another scene, um, you know, if you had digital technology, like you said, it's all backed up, you don't have less, there's less risk, um, and so you don't need to have a director shoot these things because, um, you know, again, it's all backed up, you can just take whatever the best takes were, you know, find your best five or whatever that you shot, and uh, there, there, there isn't as much risk involved there. Yeah, that is really sad. And it kind of makes you feel bad when you find out the story behind that mm -hmm. for, <laughs> for for thinking so poor. But at the same time, like for trashing that film, right. but then at the same time, if you know it's not good quality and you know that, right. that all the footage... Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.